Hello, I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Parapsychologists as a profession have long had a conflicting relationship with individuals engaged in a variety of esoteric practices going back to the spiritualists of the 19th century because Naturally, as parapsychologists began to uncover bits of data that seemed supportive of the survival hypothesis, and I think you know I stand uh, favorably disposed to that hypothesis, as many, many parapsychologists do. I don't know of any parapsychologists who are dead set against it. Uh, even uh, materialists such as my friend Ed May are open to the possibility of being convinced that survival does in fact occur, although uh, it may be very difficult to prove by his standards because it's, it's almost impossible to separate out survival from evidence for thought transference, telepathy, precognition, and clairvoyance. Nevertheless, the point I'd like to make is that parapsychologists have rigorously attempted to apply very, very high standards of logic and methodology to this exploration, whereas practitioners of the occult, of esoteric disciplines, of spiritualism, of uh, yoga, of the um, Western uh, esoteric approaches such as alchemy, tarot, uh, the various uh, esoteric organizations, the Order of the Golden Dawn, the Rosicrucians, and on and on and on we could go, uh, have had a different approach. They have not been limited to the scientific method or felt constrained by the scientific method. Often, their approach has been one of uh, trial and error. The interesting thing is that the literature of the esoteric organizations when it comes to psychic functioning is much more detailed. Now, parapsychologists have tended to dismiss it. If it's not scientific, then it's based on folklore, and folklore was considered, uh, how shall I put it, uh, beneath them. Many, many parapsychologists have had an attitude of contempt even toward the individuals who would practice the various esoteric and occult arts. Maybe it's a conflict between art and science. Now, speaking for myself and other parapsychologists who are sympathetic to uh, my approach or have developed similar approaches in, uh, along uh, th those lines themselves, where they've challenged that attitude of contempt and hostility because after all, minimally speaking, parapsychologists want to bring talented psychics into their laboratories in order to conduct research. And how is that research to be conducted if there is beneath everything an attitude of hostility or contempt or distrust to the uh, psychics who work in the lab? And surely that exists because, amongst other things, parapsychologists don't want to be hoodwinked. They want to make sure that their experiments are rigorous and that uh, the possibility of cheating has been eliminated. So there's been a certain tension 
all along between parapsychologists and the very subject that they study and the people who are practitioners of that subject. As a result, in parapsychology, we have fewer confirmed practices, confirmed experimental paradigms, confirmed facts even, than you might find in the esoteric literature. The esoteric literature is full of many certainties to which parapsychologists don't subscribe. And also, the esoteric literature is full of many nuances that parapsychologists have yet to explore. Parapsychologists typically talk about, for example, ESP. It's a big category, extrasensory perception. And maybe we break it down into clairvoyance, telepathy, and precognition. But if you get deep into the esoteric literature, you will see many, many nuances there, clairaudience, clairolfactory sensations, all sorts of subtleties that have been explored by esoteric practitioners. Parapsychologists could learn a lot from them. Now, one area that overlaps a little bit is what I call telepathic hypnotic induction. Parapsychologists began looking at, well, even before parapsychologists, Franz Anton Mesmer and his uh, famous disciple, the Marquis de Pousseguier, explored in the uh, late 18th, early 19th century, the idea of telepathic hypnotic induction and working with people who are already good hypnotic subjects. And, and really, it's Pousseguier who deserves the credit for this, uh, working with uh, some of the people who were peasants on his estate who turned out to be great telepathic hypnotic subjects. Well, first of all, they were great hypnotic subjects. And that research was picked up in the 19th century by Frederick Myers and described in his great classic book, Survival of the Human Personality and its Survival of Bodily Death. And then also by Nobel laureate, physiologist Charles Richet, a colleague of Myers, also conducted these experiments. People who were already skilled hypnotic subjects could be susceptible to telepathic hypnotic suggestions. The research was really picked up strongly in the 1930s by Leonid Vasiliev, a great physiologists working in the Soviet Union. And uh, the idea of influencing people telepathically, I think, was a large focus of Soviet parapsychology. Whereas in the United States, after uh, J.B. Rhine developed uh, his research with card guessing and dice throwing and so on, the idea of telepathic hypnotic suggestion pretty much disappeared. It, nothing came of it further in the United States at all. So, until, until my friend Jerry Salfin began uh, doing research on psychic healing and developed the suggestion, or the hypothesis, that 
psychic healing really functioned as a result of telepathic hypnotic induction. The healer, working at a distance, according to Salfin, was giving telepathic hypnotic suggestions to the healee. And the healee accepted those suggestions and was using them, therefore, to heal themselves. A very interesting theory about how psychic healing might operate. Now, I have used the term telepathic transmission. In fact, I did so in the In Present segment yesterday to refer to sometimes a feeling that I have and I think maybe sometimes you can see it on my face. I feel it at this very moment. It's a feeling that I have that I'm transmitting something to you as I speak on these in-presence monologues. And I have to say this, it's not telepathic hypnosis. I'm not really transmitting a suggestion so much as an energy, as a feeling, as what my friend Ted Owens, the PK man whom I studied for 10 years and whom I worked with uh, to the point of actually taking his training program, in which he emphasized to me very clearly, he said, this is going to involve hypnosis. I'm hypnotizing you. And he did. We, I had two friends with me. We spent three days in a hotel room with him, mostly lying on the bed in a hypnotic trance. But he made a point of saying, it's not the hypnosis. It's not the suggestions that are really going to be affecting you. It's the psychokinesis. I'm transmitting psychokinesis to you. Psychokinesis, meaning mind over matter, the ability of the mind to create kinesis or movement, kinetic energy, a direct energetic transmission. It's different than telepathic hypnotic induction because, for one thing, the goal is not to induce a hypnotic state. If anything, the goal is to induce what you might think of as the opposite of a trance state, which would be a state of waking up, waking up, becoming more alert, becoming more aware of the things that are on the fringes of your consciousness, reaching just another level of nuance, another level of subtlety, another layer of the onion being peeled away so that you achieve a new level of uh, inner power, inner growth, inner wisdom, and perhaps even an opening of the heart, the capacity to open your heart, the capacity even to open your chakras, not just the heart chakra, but the other chakras, the throat chakra, the solar plexus chakra, to become basically an individual functioning at a higher level, an awakening of kundalini, one might say, but not in, in a disturbing way, I hope. And I'd be very interested in knowing if uh, those of you who view these videos, if, if you feel you're picking anything up, because what we're creating here is a, a daily dose 
a daily dose, a little 10, 12, 15 minute, 8 minute booster every day, a reminder every day that you are more, much more, in fact, than we normally uh, conceive ourselves to be. We all are. We all are. We all are so much more, but we need to be reminded of that because it is so easy to fall into that trance state, which is uh, normal egoic waking consciousness. It seems like a fine state, and it is a fine state. There's nothing wrong with that state. It's just that in that state, we often forget so much of what we know and of who we are. So that's my transition. It's a my transmission, <laughs> my transition transmission. It's it's about waking up to the fullness of yourself. And I'll leave you with that thought today. Thank you once again for being with me.